Welcome to Ounce of Prevention, a podcast about current trends in Connecticut law and what they might have to do with you. In each episode, we'll focus on a specific legal issue and how it can impact your everyday life. The goal of the podcast is to educate and inspire our listeners to harness the law to make life just a little bit easier. I'm your host, Tim Herring. I'm an attorney at the firm of Chipman Mizuko Emerson LLC with offices in Danbury and Southbury, Connecticut. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is the first podcast for Ounce of Prevention, so remember where you were when you heard this. I'm Tim Herring, and I'm here with Elizabeth Hardery, uh, an associate and attorney in our Trust and Estates practice group. So for the first episode, we're going to do things a little differently. Instead of me interviewing someone, Liz is actually going to interview me, so you get a sense of who I am and what I do, as mysterious as that might be. So... Liz, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. I'm excited to be on the very first episode of our podcast. Excellent. I think I might be able to take over as co-host eventually, <laughs> so we'll, this is a real tryout for let's, me. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> don't have to call security. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you describe yourselves to the to the listeners? What who Who is Tim Herring? I'm a bit of an enigma. <laughs> um, it, what I do... I do dispute resolution and litigation. So three big buckets of disputes are really kind of what I deal with. So business disputes, probate litigation, and real estate disputes. So most things that I do fit into one of those three buckets. But within those buckets, there can be a huge variety of disputes. Really what happens is a, a dispute bubbles up from another practice area within the firm. I mean, that, that's often what happens. You know, there'll be a boundary line dispute or a dispute over an easement or business owners are not getting along and there's a disagreement about what to do with the business, how to move forward, where the money goes, or there's, a, there's an estate that's in trouble for one reason or another and, and I get involved. And, and what I, I'm really a problem solver. I guess that, that's one way to look at it that if we can resolve a problem to the client's benefit without going to court, we'll do that. Sometimes that's not possible, mm-hmm. but sometimes it is. You know, in, in broad strokes, that's what I do. I, I guess you always have to be ready and willing to try a case, whether that's in the Connecticut Superior Court, Federal Court, Bankruptcy Court, Probate Court. But the vast majority of disputes end up settling because of the expense associated with going going the distance. Well, that was that was one of the things I was going to bring up is sometimes I think one of the things that people don't really think about or understand and we think about it from a different perspective is sometimes there's a, a legal answer to a problem or a dispute, you know, that if you took it all the way through trial, maybe, maybe one party or the other is is on pretty solid ground, but there's also the, the practical side. Who's going to pay for that, right? So that you do you deal with that a lot in your, your Absolutely. Work? I, I was on a, a conference call on a, um, on a dispute that's actually just getting going uh, in court, and counsel were talking about mediation. And one of the things that other lawyers said that was right on was that we can get things out of mediation that we can't get out of a judgment. And that's very true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Assuming you have a helpful mediator, you can craft a practical, common sense solution to a problem 
with all the nuts and bolts built in. An example of something you can do in a mediation that you can't do in court is built in a, dis- a resolution for resolving future disputes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've, we've done in mediations is build in um, an arbitration provision for that mediator. So you're going to have a mediator who's already familiar with the facts, the law, the personalities. And if a dispute bubbles up that no one foresaw at that moment, that person, that mediator, who was capable enough to get it resolved in the first place, now is going to resolve an issue that nobody saw coming. So you don't have to start all the way over from the beginning. You don't have to start over. It's, it's efficient and it works. Mm-hmm. Can you give me, I, I know every dispute is different, but ballpark, if you can resolve something in mediation or via settlement versus how much does it cost to take something to litigation? Like how much money does something have to be worth for, for parties to be willing to, to really go that far with it? Is there a general rule? Well, you're definitely, for a dispute to warrant going to trial, it's going to be many tens of thousands of dollars. And that's really at the low end. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of money to me. That's a lot of money to you. To most people, that's a lot of money. But the reality is that the superior court, federal court, they're really not super efficient at resolving disputes that are lower than that. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of rules to follow in court. And as lawyers, we're rule followers. So we're going to do what the rules require us to do. And if we don't do, you know, follow the rules, we can get dinged if we go to trial. Maybe something that we didn't, didn't disclose, we can't submit as evidence. We really have to check all the boxes. So there is, person can always go to court by themselves, although it's very tricky, you know, mm-hmm. with all the rules. And an individual can go to small claims and the limit there is $5,000. You know, we talk to a lot of people about, you know, do you really want to go forward with this? And we have to make sure that we're being cost effective. Mm-hmm. Right, because your hourly rate is can rack up pretty quickly, can get pretty close to $5,000 pretty quickly, right? So. Exactly, and I go out of my way, really, when I first meet with a client to talk about money because the last thing I want to do is become another problem, right? Mm-hmm. So when a client comes to me, there's already a problem. Right. You know, it, it can be, it can deal with real estate or money, but I don't want to pile on. Right. I want to help solve the problem. Right. So there's nothing wrong with me telling a client, I don't think we're a good fit, or this isn't really something you can afford to go all the way on. You know, it, our job is to give candid advice. Right. Maybe something I should have brought up earlier, but what what are some of the things that you just don't do like sure. from, the, from the top? What kind of matters don't you handle? So we don't do personal injury lawsuits. We have... We, we do have relationships with other lawyers where we will refer them so we can be a resource for that. Um, we don't do criminal work and we don't do uh, divorce. So that's mostly what we don't do. So we do handle a broad array of all kinds of civil disputes, but it's good to know what we don't do. Mm-hmm. But like I said, our firm has been around for a long time and we've, we have relationships with lawyers who do those things. So we're often in a position to refer work out. Given the the three buckets you talked about, I know there's probably, given what I know about seeing you in the office every day, there's no real typical day for a Tim Herring. But can you give me an example of maybe just the types of things you might be working on in a given day? Maybe something in the last couple of weeks that you've been working on? What are the types of things you you actually do day to day? Sure. At the moment, I happen to be working on a few different probate litigation cases where 
either the there's a claim that the fiduciary is obligated to make to meet their fiduciary obligation. So to dispatch with all the legalese, if the executor thinks that someone owes money to the estate, they're usually duty bound to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple cases in that vein right now. We have some some business disputes right now where co-owners of a business have had a falling out and it's up to us to figure out how to resolve that. We have some boundary dispute lawsuits right now, so that would go into the real estate dispute bucket. What does that boil down to in a like a task based? Do you have meetings every day? Is it is oh, you it want all a more meetings? granular is it, level? So is it paperwork all day? Is no. your is your life like my cousin Vinny or any any television litigator? Tell me. I would say it's very very close to a mix of my cousin Vinny and Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> okay. Maybe a little more Aaron Brockovich. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> It's not on HBO. Um, I would say mostly what I do is analyze documents and information with an eye towards a resolution. So, because that's the end goal of of a lawsuit. Theoretically, yeah. It it's a you want a result you can you know you want to win, but given that most lawsuits do settle, you want to come up with the best argument to, you can to put yourself in the, in the best position. But it's, mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what the individual task, whether it's reviewing a contract, digging into where money went, taking a look at the statutes, reading some cases, it's attention to detail that is what I do. Mm-hmm. How often do you actually end up in court? Like how much of your job would you say is... Is what you see on TV. Sure. A relatively small portion. So I would say I'm in court once every two weeks, but it's often I'm there to report on a status of a matter. I have a matter now where I've gone to court a couple of times just to advise the court that we're working on a resolution because you you want to spend your resources wisely. And if there's a, a resolution that, that can be had, mm-hmm. and I think it can, then you don't want to be running the clock on litigation stuff. I mean, you will if you have to. You know, you you can't be afraid to go all the way. Is your Would you say your approach is a... I know you said a lot of cases settle and you kind of try to... You're a problem solver. You try to right. just come to a resolution in the easiest way possible. Would you say you, you have sort of a different approach than some more aggressive lawyers? Where would you say you fall as far as your approach to disputes? That's a good question. So it's it's always hard to know what's in other litigators' heads, but from what I see, I think I I want to get to the heart of the dispute right away and kind of put the kabuki theater to the side. That's that's my <laughs> own view. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my what I do in life is dictated by the movie Roadhouse, <laughs> as I, I think is the case with all of us, um, and that. It's you be nice until it's time to not be nice. Mm-hmm. But I'm really kind of always nice. But I'm I'm civil to other counsel, and that's the best way to be. And oftentimes in cases, you know, the other lawyer and I will do what we're supposed to do. We'll be zealous advocates. But you don't have to be a jerk to be good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And I've 
I end up having good relationships with opposing counsel. I can't think of a lawyer that I've litigated against in recent memory who afterwards we really don't like each other. I mean, pretty much every time I go to court, I see a lawyer I've litigated against and we have a good relationship. I mean, we're not best friends, Mm -hmm. but we were professional to each other. Now, you know, occasionally lawyers will, will cross over that line, but if it can be avoided, it's, it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Does it throw some clients off when you're, when you're friendly with opposing counsel as opposed to just, I don't know, throwing things at him or something? <laughs> uh, usually not. I mean, most, most clients understand that, again, what's the goal and how do you get mm-hmm. there? Yelling and pounding the table might look good on TV, mm-hmm. but in reality, opposing counsel is not going to do anything more for you because you got angry, mm-hmm. and the judge is not going to be happy. It's the facts, the law, and creativity. It's not slamming your hand on the table or yelling. So it, it's really not about theatrics. Mm-hmm. The most effective lawyers are the most diminutive, mm-hmm. I think. You know, that they point out the facts in the law and you have no choice but to acknowledge it. Right. It's not the yellers that, that get things done, in my view. Hmm. That's a really good point. I, I personally like to yell all the time. Well, sure. Just see what I've happens. I've heard that. <laughs> I've literally heard it. <laughs> you talked earlier about how once people come to see you, there's already a problem, right? They're already in trouble or, or there's already a conflict. Yes. <clears throat> Is there a maybe a common theme or or a, some things that people could do in advance, like, you know, easy things that people could do to, to not end up in your office, to, to stay away from you. Sure. Not that anyone should want to because you're a great guy. Just No, I get it. <laughs> I, I've had clients literally tell me that they like me, but they hope to never see me again. <laughs> yeah. Sure, a, a few pointers. One is... If you have a bad feeling about somebody in a business matter, just don't do business with them. Mm-hmm. The, the easiest way to stay out of a dispute is to not do business with people that you just don't have a good feeling about. Forget about the other facts of a, of a transaction. If there's something that just doesn't feel right about another party, you're probably feeling that way for a reason. The other thing would be put as much as you possibly can in writing. Now, you can overdo it with putting things in writing to the point where it annoys other people, and it's not practical. Mm -hmm. I mean, most communication, a lot of communication is nonverbal, but only a small communication in our daily lives is written. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to have a, if you're going to do a significant transaction with another person, if you're going to hire a contractor to remodel your house, Mm -hmm. or you're going to go into a business with someone, or you're going to buy a business, sell a business, the documents are really what matters. And that's contrary to our human experience. Our human experience is looking across the table from someone or having a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. But if those, if you get in a dispute and it goes to court, those things really don't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not that a judge or jury is not going to listen about a conversation, but documents are what they are. It's, it's why we have a written constitution. So mm-hmm. people can't say, no, no, listen. George Washington, we said we said that, but then remember we had a conversation in the bathroom where we said something. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The yeah. documents are what control. So mm-hmm. those would be two things: just stay away from people you don't have a good feeling about, mm-hmm. and also put things into writing. Mm-hmm. And email can be part of that too. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the handshake deal is all well and good, but but write it down later or just make sure. Because that way, I feel like sometimes maybe people just... One of the things when you write things down is you really have to think through a lot of the contingencies and a lot of the what's going to happen in the future, who's in charge of what. And maybe you just have better conversations ahead of time so it's more clear cut I agree. for who's in charge of what. But also when if they end up in your office, it's a lot better if what their side says is is what's in the document, right? So Absolutely. And contemporaneous notes and communications are huge. I mean, it's a it's a matter of science that we forget things and that we reconstruct memories. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. But documents stay the way they are, mm-hmm. which is why they're so important mm-hmm. when a case gets tried. And I've had the experience where I am very thankful that I took careful notes about something or sent a contemporaneous email. Even at the time, if I felt like I may have been overdoing it a little bit, it's a marker in time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's huge. Well, an email, it doesn't have to be a notarized letter to someone. It no. can just really be a quick email to, hey, we had our conversation earlier today. Here's how I understand where we ended up. You know, what are your thoughts? And then. Absolutely. Hmm. You know, and, you know, just, just one example of that would be um, construction disputes. Having, you know, there are lots of oral conversations that happen between owners and contractors and subcontractors. And if it's not written down, a trier of fact, a jury or a judge is never going to really know what to think. But if there's just, if there's a change order, if there's an email, that's super helpful. Again, because it's the words say what they say. Mm -hmm. It's not a recollection. It's, it's a marker in time. Right. So if I come to you and I'm already, let's say I forgot to put everything in writing or, or put some stuff in writing. Shame but it, on you. But I'm so sorry. Uh, or say I put everything in writing because I'm a very diligent person and an attorney. But right. say it goes south anyway. If I call you up or I come in for the first meeting, what are the kinds of things that either I need to bring with me or the kinds of questions you're going to ask me. So where, did, where does the process start? Sure. So the process will start with, you know, an inquiry that we get from a potential client or it could be an existing client. And the, the first thing we have to do is get our arms around what kind of a dispute is this, kind of put a shape to it, and also to run a conflict search to make sure that, you know, the, the, the person on the other side of the dispute they don't work here, <laughs> which has never happened. But there's no there's no relationship that I or another person in the firm would have that would in any way interfere with our duty of loyalty to the client. That so that's a threshold issue, making sure there's no there isn't a, a conflict. Then what we'd ask is that either the the potential client send us documents ahead of time. That's ideal. Mm-hmm. And then we set up either a, a phone call or an in-person meeting. A lot of things in the law, a lot of things that we do, we don't have to have in-person meetings with clients. But I think it's actually important when the relationship is forming to meet in person. You know, that, that, that's my own view. So it would be a, you know, it can, it, can go, it can be a half an hour, it could be two hours of talking through what the issues are what representation would look like, you know, how we charge, things like that. And then it's up to the client whether they want to go forward or maybe it's not a right fit for us. But assuming that there's interest on both sides, we would prepare an engagement letter. And under the rules of professional conduct, that's something we have to do. And then the client would review, sign, and then we're on our way. And I'm on my way to try to resolve an issue. 
as cheaply and as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to make a pitch to me or, you know, your elevator speech, what makes you different from other litigators in, in Connecticut or even in this region? Sure. Well, I think there are plenty of good lawyers in the state of Connecticut. That's my own estimation. So there's nothing about me that's unique, I, I would say. But I, I think what I focus on is bringing value to the client because we're not professors. And I, I think all of the lawyers at Chipman Mizuko like the law and like to think about the law. But when a client comes to see us, they want a practical result. Mm-hmm. They don't want a brief that's going to end up in the Smithsonian. That That's not what they're after. <laughs> oh, is that not? Because I should Well, I should for that, I approach. know what you're talking about. <laughs> that one's different. But I would say a practical, cost-effective solution. But also, I love getting to the nub of, of things. And that's often because that's what's going to happen in the case. I can't tell you how many cases I've had where at the beginning there's a tendency to look at it a certain way or gloss over a certain fact and then you get to a pretrial before a judge and the judge says well what about what about this and it was that issue in the beginning that your your client didn't think was important maybe you had an inkling it wasn't important but it's sometimes we have to say the uncomfortable thing mm-hmm. and you know the elephant in the room and say, this is going to be an issue. So I think I'm candid with my clients. And when I'm not advocating for them, I'm counseling them. Mm-hmm. Because I want to do what's right for them. Right. I'm sure sometimes you have to have hard conversations of, it's just not going to work out the way you want it to. Or or here's the best we can do. Or here's sure. the risk of going to trial. Or sure. things they don't want to hear. The, yes. You, you have to have, at times, uncomfortable conversations with clients. For example, when you can see that they have exposure in a lawsuit because of one fact or another, that's stubborn. Facts are stubborn things, and we can't ignore them. You have to be willing to tell your client, you may want to consider the resolution, you know, the settlement offer, or let's counter it because if we go to trial, you're going to spend a lot of money on us, on attorney's fees, and you could lose, and that would be a bad day. Mm -hmm. So that... You know, we don't want that. another reason why cases settle is that really, really bad day. So the conventional wisdom is that a good settlement is one where neither party is happy. <laughs> and that, that's often the case. Mm-hmm. But, but it's the reward outweighs the risk in that situation for the most part. Right. Lawsuits are very risky. Mm-hmm. Every litigator who's been practicing for any significant period of time loves to tell war stories and inevitably one of the themes of those war stories is i tried a case the other lawyer said oh my god you destroyed me congratulations you did such a great job and then that lawyer promptly loses Mm. i've been on both sides of that and so has any lawyer So a lawyer who says we're going to win, it's not only unethical to tell your client that you're going to win and that it's absolute. It's just wrong because judges are not robots. They're people. There's discovery in lawsuits for a reason. What discovery is in litigation, you bring the case. 
And then there's their pleadings where facts are admitted, denied, or the plaintiff is left to proof. What does that mean? So leaving to proof means that the defendant doesn't know whether the allegation is true or not, but they're mm -hmm. not going to admit it and they're not going to deny it. They're going to let the plaintiff prove it. So that, that happens a lot. And then the, there's the discovery period. And discovery is about learning more facts. So it's a bit counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. People listening to this might think, well, shouldn't you know the facts before you bring a lawsuit? You have to know some. And if you don't know any, you shouldn't bring a lawsuit in the first place. But you don't have to know everything. Because one of the, you know, one of the big chunks of time, probably the biggest one in the life of a case, is discovery. You're going to ask for documents from the other side. You're going to ask them to answer questions under oath. You're going to take some depositions. Experts might be involved to get at the, the truth. I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pick a favorite fictional lawyer, who would it be? And why? Michael Clayton. Why? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Some mental defect I have. Your answer was pretty immediate. So I, just, <laughs> I just like that movie. Hmm. Um, well, George Clooney's a good actor, so let's start there. Right, it's a well, really well done that's movie. That's a solid point. I mean, I'm not Michael Clayton. I know that's shocking. I, what? I, yeah, I know. He was, he was a fixer. That's kind of what he's referred to. Uh, in the movie and I view myself as a as a problem solver not so much a, a fixer doing things that are of questionable ethics but I guess I, I view my job as being in the dispute resolution business mm -hmm. so and he was too hopefully my Mercedes doesn't get blown up <laughs> <laughs> I don't drive a Mercedes because <laughs> you totally own a Mercedes <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience anything you think we've missed or something particularly important they should know about you know the whole theme of the podcast is ounce of prevention right so do you think there's anything else right there big nuggets of advice you'd give people I, I would go back to put things in writing and if you so if you're a business owner and you're deciding whether or not to do business with another business a business to business transaction have somewhat of a jaundiced view you know, it's, a, it's good to have hope in life, but it's also good to be realistic and think about ways that that relationship might go south um, and have a document about the relationship. It doesn't have to be 50 pages long, but something to document the relationship. And frankly, to go to the whole, you know, to the title of this podcast, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And sometimes it's worth a metric ton of cure. Mm -hmm. So a, a thought, you know, getting a lawyer's input early on in a relationship can save both of the parties a lot of heartache and money later on. So that would be my suggestion. Now, if, if company A has a long-standing relationship with company B that's built up over time and there's a lot of trust, I don't want to give impractical advice. You're not going to take two companies that have been doing business without issue for 20 years and say, hold oh, I need you to document everything. There's got to be an email every time. No, that, that's not practical. Mm -hmm. We want to be practical at the end of the day. So use the law, what's there. The law needs to be informed by common sense. That's what Michael Clayton would do. <laughs> well, thanks for interviewing me, Liz. I hope it was entertaining. I got sick to listening to the sound of my own voice. 
Um, Everyone does. Uh, <laughs> of your voice. That's not. more true than you know. <laughs> so thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Ounce of Prevention. Thanks for listening to the Ounce of Prevention podcast. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic, please visit our website at www.danburylaw.com or call us directly at 203-744-1929. So you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. This podcast is not legal advice and is for informational and educational purposes only.